0: To another episode of the Far Post podcast. It's our first one for 2021. We all made it through the shit storm that was 2020, and now we're back to do what we always do, which is talk women's football in Australia. I'm joined, as I always am, by the three best WoSo pals in the business Sam Lewis, Anna Harrington, and Angela Christian Wilkes. So let's start. A new year with the same old you love to see it. Sam, what did you love to see this weekend?
1: So, so much of the discussion leading into this W League season was about young players being given their opportunities. Finally, a lot of bench players are given the free free air to sort of spread their wings and, and do what we all hope that they can. And the first two rounds, I think, has proved it. Uh, young players have scored some absolute bangers in the first two rounds. I think there are about five young players under the age of 22 have got on the score sheet so far, including Courtney Vine, Princess Abini, Laura Hughes, Rosie Galia, and Nikki Flannery. And some of those goals were just amazing. Uh, Princess Sabini's first goal in the Sydney Derby was sensational. Nikki Flannery's winner against Melbourne City. Oh, my God, the whole thing was just so wholesome. I loved it. So, yeah, young players, scoring bangers, confirming theories and narratives. You love to see it.
0: Absolutely love to see it. what did you love to see this weekend?
2: Well, Marissa, I love to see, one, us being proven right because one thing we called for in our Dub Preview pod was for Adelaide to sign Cote Rojas, Maria Jose Rojas, Cote Rojas. They did just that within days of us actually uh, actually calling for it. Even better, they proved that the summer of Cote Rojas is here because against Canberra... Um, Fiona Wirtz put through this great through ball to the one and only Kote Rojas, and she's absolutely turned the Canberra defence inside out, including young Jessica Nash, who you hate to see a player retire so young, but there's no coming back from this one. She sort of gets around her, bodies her well, and then just leaves Sally James and the Canberra goal just so flat-footed and finishes brilliantly, and it's a a really passionate celebration as well, grabbing the uh, the badge and all. So the summer of Kote Rojas. You love to see
0: it. You love to see it so much. And as we watched at the pub, we were absolutely frothing everything she did. So more of it, I say. And Angela, what did you love to see this weekend?
3: This may come as a little bit of a shock to everyone listening, but I absolutely love to see Heyman, well, get a hat trick and then round two also score again. She's just on fire. Her finishing is... I can't, what's the, I can't do the gesture, but I'm doing the, the gesture. What's that gesture, Marissa? What do you call that?
0: Do you mean the Italian gesture or the chef's kiss?
3: The chef's kiss. I'm doing both. <laughs> I'm getting them mixed up in my head. I'm so excited. But chef's kiss. That's what I mean. So, yes, um, her... And also the hat trick was just like so beautifully timed because Adela- Adelaide were leading by two goals and then Michelle Heyman's like, hi, guys, I'm back. And just, yeah, scored some absolutely lovely goals there. So you love to see it. Just the whole thing. Heyman Watch, you love to see it.
0: You so, so love to see it. So Heyman Watch is obviously... A big you love to see it, and it's. I'm really glad that the people have started to get on board with Heyman Watch as well. I think we do need to say, as of our recording, she's only three goals three goals behind Sam Kerr's current all-time record in the dub of 70, so Heyman Watch is now fully shifted into all-time goal-scoring record watch, so it's going to be very fun to see. But it's fitting that we... And you love to see it on Hayman Watch so we can start dub chat with Canberra. Canberra have been phenomenal so far uh, this season. They're one of the teams that have played two games and they're two from two. They've been absolutely exceptional. Sam, what have you made of Canberra so far?
1: Yeah, super impressed. Um, not surprised, to be honest. Like When we learned about the squad that Vicky Linton had put together, I think most of us sort of picked Canberra for a return to the top four. Um, pretty quickly, you know and I think the fact that she has recruited a core a, a bunch of players who are all playing together in the off season for Sydney uni in the MPL, they've really clearly carried that chemistry over into the starting 11. Um, Michelle Heyman's obviously just on fire. It is so good to see her back feeling comfortable. And it's like feeling fit and happy and doing what she does. Her finish, as you said, Angela, her finishing has been extraordinary. There was a goal where I think it was probably her th- her third in the first game, so for her hat trick, where she just dinked the goalkeeper in just such a beautiful way. Um yeah, and, like, the goal that she scored against Melbourne City as well was just, like, opened up her body and just curled it into the top. It was just, like, classic Heyman, you know. But another player who I've been really, really impressed with, actually, is Laura Hughes. I feel like we didn't really talk about Laura Hughes very much in our preseason previews. Um, but she has been so, so solid in midfield for Canberra in that sort of number six, eight-ish kind of floating role. Um, particularly against Melbourne city, I thought she was outstanding. So yeah, I'm just, I'm loving Canberra. I'm loving what they're doing on the field. I'm loving what they're doing off the field. I think they're almost their entire coaching staff is filled with women this season, which is awesome. Um, and the fans are loving it, you know, the, the the two home games that they've had so far, they're responding in exactly the kind of way that we expect Canberra fans to respond to this team, particularly with the return of people like Michelle Heyman. So, yeah, it's one of the big stories of the season. I'm, I'm just so, like, stoked to be able to, like, sit and watch it.
2: I think it's really interesting, Sam, and we've seen it across the A-League as well um, most recently, but with Canberra, they're probably the best example in the W League, and I know things like probably COVID and that have come into it in terms of factors, but people love a homegrown hero. They love the hometown hero. They love the homegrown kids. They love to see them strap their stuff. They play with passion. They care. Um, I think that's something you see with Nikki Flannery and scoring that banger and Grace Ma, who probably was a bit off the boil early against Melbourne City, but I thought really came into the game and showed that leadership and that composure and Of course, Michelle Heyman's the best example. I love the way she caressed the ball um, into the net for that goal against Melbourne City. But I think people can really get behind people who play for the jersey, who play for their hometown or their adopted hometown in the case of some of these players. Kendall Fletcher as well is just the perfect choice of captain. There's that history there. The fans identify with her. The players respect her. And when it comes to some of these players, especially like Heyman and Fletcher, they've been there, done that. You can't not respect what they've done. And I think that's a really valuable thing for Canberra to have. Um, it is interesting how much we're talking about Michelle Heyman's finishing because I think in the past that's probably been an area where she'd let herself down, where she had the athleticism and the burst and the nous but didn't always finish. And I think there's probably a, a level of maturity that comes, as obviously, as you get older and you get more experienced where you don't just create the chances, you finish them as well. And her her finishing's just been fantastic. But... The question I have for everyone, and it's something that got raised in an interview with Fox during the game, was can she see a return to the Matildas? For me, it's um, it's not something I thought would happen, especially after she retired. But she got asked about it on the Fox coverage, you know, is is Tokyo in your mind? Like, is it there? Is it something you're, you're thinking about? And she basically said, yes. Yes. Um, But then also, you know, the the year off was probably the best thing that's ever happened to me. I'm enjoying my football. I'm loving what I'm doing. I just want to keep enjoying my football, keep trying to score goals and whatever happens from there happens. I mean, Michelle Heyman, a return to the Matildas. Can we see it, Angela?
3: I, like, I would be really happy if she got a call up, but I, I wonder if her playing the way that she's playing comes from a place of, like, the pressure's off she mm-hmm. knows why she is there this season and it's she ob- obviously is coming from a really healthy place so i wouldn't want her to put too much pressure on herself and then sort of maybe then turn thing like turn herself off a little bit from that i don't know um but i i think if she can keep enjoying her football and keep playing this way then it's not out of reach for sure
2: You know what I do like about this, even if Michelle Heyman doesn't end up in contention for the Matildas, I like your thoughts on this too, Sam, is for me, it sets a marker down. If you're a young player and you want to break into the Matildas, you want to get called up for camps, you have to go, well, Michelle Heyman's doing this. So if you want to be in the mix, you've got to be trying to reach that marker. You can't just be showing flash in the pan and, I don't know, maybe scoring one goal every three or four games. Because... That's a player that's been there, done that. And if she says she's hungry, I can't call you up if you're not at least showing some sort of glimpses that you don't necessarily have to get to the standard that Michelle Heyman's reached in the the W League. Sorry, because she's just been fantastic for so long. But if a player like that is hungry and happy and keen and scoring goals, then I think at the very least, you've got to say, well, this is the benchmark. If this player is doing so well and isn't going to be involved in the senior setup, then you've got to really – hit that next level
1: yeah definitely and I think that that's one of the greatest benefits of having a sort of sprinkling of Matildas throughout the W League this season um even though it's not the sort of commercial driver as the Matildas have been in the past I think what they bring is this professionalism and this expectation of a standard and now that they're surrounded by so many more young players, so many more local players who are actually involved in these conversations, those young players are going to be experiencing that level week in, week out. Um, I think Emily Gilnick spoke about this uh, to media, uh, sort of in the week leading up to kickoff, um, where you know, obviously because Brisbane Roar have the the highest number of Matildas, but she said that it's it's really important for the players in and around the Brisbane Roar setup to to experience that, like at, every day at training all at games all the time to actually know what it's like to be a professional athlete. And so having someone like Hayman there who's been been there done that as you said Harry she's been through thick and thin she's experienced all the ups and downs of being a pro um in 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 the at an international level as well that is going to be so valuable for all of the players who are coming through. And you're right, like if and this is like this is a 32 a 32-year-old Michelle Heyman who had to almost completely retire from football because her body breakdown. She's come back and she's doing this at her age. Like not to say you can't be great when you're in your thirties, but we all know that women footballers tend to sort of start to decline after they reach that that age. Um, and she's already, she, and she's, this is the way that she's performing. Like it's, it's pretty, it's a credit to her, obviously it's a credit to the people who are involved in rehabilitating her and getting her to this standard, getting her body to this standard. But it's just, it's like, it's, it's really good to see, I think, Haman of all people to be setting that. Benchmark because there was a lot of sort of a of chat about Lisa Devanna perhaps being that person returning to Melbourne victory. But at the moment, it's Heyman that is really sort of striking out on her own and showing what the standard is and should be for all the other, at least for all the other strikers in the league, but for all the other young players as well.
2: And how much does it do for, I don't know I know we talked pre-season about some of these young players coming through, uh, not to throw a player under the bus, but Tori Tumath, who came in from the NPL in New South Wales, had some pretty decent raps about her, has had to deal with the, I guess, the running blitz of like an Emily Guernican to make a yellow first up, and she looked absolutely gassed. And then has had to deal with the, you know, you've got the scoring prowess of Michelle Heyman, who can just poach goals from anywhere. It's so athletic. I think it's really good for some of these young players who come in and they've maybe been the big fish in a smaller pond if they've been playing state league or they've been in, I guess, junior rep teams um, to come in and you get an idea of also, oh, this is what it's like. These are the runs I've got to make, not just once, yeah. but again and again and again. And if I switch off for a minute, they'll pounce, they'll score, they'll catch me hanging out the back, they'll beat the offside trap. You don't need to give players like Michelle Heyman much of an opportunity to hurt you because they'll do it. And I think we saw that as well with the Melbourne City goal even, like you Poor Jessica Nash, who's a kid, has just got stuck against the absolute, uh, I don't even know, like it was like a steamrolling header from Jenna McCormick, who's just absolutely powered at home. And it's just the sort of experience that these young players are going to get from having some of these more senior players about, it's good. Some of the lessons are going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. But it's the only way you're going to get better is by, you know, testing yourself against these good players. and. The ones that are going to make it to the next level are the ones that learn from it and go, well, I'm going to be better next time. I'm going to put in a better showing next time and I'm going to improve because I want to be that at that point as well.
3: And I suppose also this season with the young players coming through, there's always been young players in and around the dub, but they get they're going to get serious minutes this season and we're already seeing that. So that it's going to be a much steeper learning curve. I think a lot of seasons previously, there's always been ones to watch and they've been standouts at that MPL level, but when it comes to actually getting minutes in the dub, it hasn't hasn't happened. But yeah, very exciting to see the sort of development and progression there from players who might have otherwise only gotten a few subs on in a normal well normal season.
2: I think and Sam, you're you're a resident Sydney FC watcher, but to follow on from what Angela said, you've got these players that have um, getting minutes now that probably wouldn't in the past. But one thing that really excited me, and we mentioned Nikki Flannery earlier, was um, seeing Princess Abini really come to the fore. This is a player that, um, and I think looking, I'll we'll defer to your piece on this we, with quotes from Ante Juric as well, Sam, but this is a player that for mine has been floating around for a long time, got glimpses at the Matildas, has shown she can score at this level, pulls out the odd banger, but hasn't really taken too many games by the scruff of the neck, hasn't really shown she can be the one who can, I guess, drive forward and put herself um, in contention from the Tildes, put her name up in lights. And I think we all expected Sydney to get the better of the Wanderers the other day. And I think normally if Princess Albini scored, it might normally be the, I guess, the icing on the cake goal. And she got one of them, but she also scored one to put them 2-0 up a banger and a really good finish. And I thought that was really exciting, um, Sam, to see a player like that who I know she's only, what, 20, but has been around for a long time to actually be involved consistently for the game and not just flash in and out. What did you make?
1: Yeah, definitely. Princess Sabini has been in the W League for five seasons. I think people forget that. She's been around for a really long time, but she has always sort of been a sub-player. She's been an impact player. She's been a bench player. Uh, particularly in the last couple of seasons for Sydney. Uh, she has always sort of been on the periphery because she hasn't been delivering. You know, you're right. She she scored the odd banger every now and then when she had a chance, but she's never scored more than four goals in the season, I don't think. Um, but as Ante Juric said, like I, I wrote about Princess Sabini for my, my first uh, ESPN column a couple of days ago, the, the big question around her now is will she actually live up to the hype because there has been so much hype around her for such a long time and Ante Juric knows that more than anybody having worked with her for the last couple of seasons. And he had a chat to her before this season started and said, look, you're not a teenager anymore, I mean, even though she still sort of is a teenager, you're not, you're not a teenager anymore, you need to step up. This is your opportunity now. You need to grab it with both hands and you need to announce yourself. And I think that she... But based on her performance in the Sydney Derby, absolutely took that seriously. Um, now the question is going to be if she can continue to do that. Overall, Sydney's performance against the Wanderers was uh, as expected. I guess um, I, you know, you sort of always had the feeling that they would come away with the points, uh, not just because they they're a team that has been playing together for quite a while, but I thought the Wanderers were quite poor as well. Um, and given the Wanderers' performance against Newcastle, that sort of, it showed um, quite a contrast in the in those two kinds of systems and, and the confidence that that team had. So, yeah, I mean, but another player worth mentioning from that Sydney Derby is Courtney Vine. Um, mm-hmm. As she, you know, former Wanderer, she had a couple of goes last season um, when given the opportunity by Dean Heffernan, but never really made herself a permanent uh, a permanent player in that starting 11 with um, with great reason. I mean, she was competing with like Kristen Hamilton, Lynn Williams, which is really difficult, but I feel like she's going to be playing a really, uh, a much more important role with Sydney this season. You know, she's scored the first goal in the Derby, first goal of the W League season. Um, it was a great goal. It was a very Courtney Vine goal as well, if anyone has watched her at NPL level um and yeah so I'm I'm just really looking forward to Sydney being the team that um sort of confirms again this wider narrative of young players finally taking their opportunities because so far we've seen two of them do that
2: well we saw Rosie Galea as well Sam I believe you you were at this game weren't you the uh, Wanderers Jets game where Tara Andrews is just ever present in the league from a Jets perspective but Rosie Galea, I think, one of, is one of those names that's been around for a little a little while now, not a super long time. But to pop up and score two goals is a, is a very nice way to, I guess, put your name on the competition.
1: Definitely, yeah. I mean, Newcastle sort of helped her out with the first one. Cassidy Davis basically passed her the ball
2: at the top of the box and she was like, oh,
1: thanks, and just, uh, yeah, punished her for that one. But, yeah, absolutely. Rosie Galea is another player who's been around for a couple of seasons. She started out at Canberra. Uh, moved to uh, the Wanderers last season, didn't get much of a run, was on the bench for most of it. But, you know, she, in her first start this season, her first 90 minutes for the club, she scored two goals. Uh, you know, this is something that she is known to be doing in, at the NPL, NPL level as well. Um, and I watched her quite a bit when she was playing for the MacArthur Rams because MacArthur were my team. Um, and she's, she's a really great young player. She's really feisty. She's really dedicated um, and she's really clever. And now, again, we're going to be you know, actually seeing her prove that and show that to everybody else because so far it's just a whole bunch of people who are involved with State League football who are familiar with these kinds of players, but now they're actually being given the platform to show why they do have good reps. Um So some of them, like I, we mentioned Tori Tumith before, some of them are going to sink, some of them are going to swim, and that's fine. That's great. That's what we need because we need to at least give the players the opportunity to sink or to swim. That is the purpose of this season.
2: One that I think has fallen into the swim category so far. Marissa actually mentioned her when we were talking pre-pod. Holly Palmer um, showed glimpses at Brisbane Royal last season. We'll get into Melbourne City and I guess how they are not impressing compared to last season in a minute. But if there's one player that I think has been really good to watch um, from City, it's been Holly Palmer. She's I guess given glimpses of composure, a bit of excitement, she always feels like she's in the game and I don't think you can say that for a lot of City. Um, Andy Harper made a good point on the broadcast that City at times feel very one-paced. I think Palmer's one of those players who offers something a little bit different, maybe reads the game a bit quicker. Um, I I just have really liked a few of these little glimpses I've seen. From a City perspective, in a start to the season that's not had too much to like, I think – Palmer's been something to like, which is probably a good way to segue into uh, Melbourne City. Um, we knew they weren't going to be so great this season. They lost so many good players. They did a bit of solid recruiting, bringing in Jenna McCormick, for example, and Tegan Micah. Um, but otherwise, it's lacking a bit of inspiration. I thought they got better as things went on in that Canberra game, um, beyond the obvious late uh, goal they conceded. But guys, what do we make? like? Are they going to make finals? Are they well off the pace?
3: I sort of realised, I was very slow to realise this, but the players that City have signed that are really exciting or like big names like Jenna McCormick, Chidiak, even someone like Sam Johnson have not been playing football very much. So Tegan Micah has been and she's been from all reports, you know, outstanding and has basically been keeping City in this and has helped them get, you know, what was it, the, the draw at least. But, um, yeah, I think uh, it's, it's unconvincing. It is unconvincing. And I think that problem of what we were talking about in our preview as well of City having all these defenders and then you've got players sort of like playing a little bit out of position or trying new positions and not really working, a la Tegan Allen. Was it? She was in defensive mid. So, yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, I think the the first two games from Melbourne City sort of confirm all of our fears that we uh, that we aired in the preview episode. Um, I still don't know who is going to be scoring Melbourne City's goals, even though we do have uh, Alex Chidiak coming in, even though we have Kira, the Japanese international, who I thought was you know showed some some really nice stuff when she was substituted on in the second game. Riley Dobson is the only striker that they have. Who is going to be, like, outside of Jenna McCormick scoring bullet headers, who is actually going to be, and again, like going back to Holly Palmer, Holly Palmer had to make a lot of forward runs from, like, she's a midfielder and she had to basically act as a sort of a 10 or a false nine for a, a lot of that game. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm really not, I'm not convinced by City. I won't be surprised if they miss the four, They'll, I mean, they'll they'll draw and defend their way to points. I don't think that they'll attack their way to points, and that's really boring, to be honest. Um, especially considering the history that Melbourne City have, you know, I, I would have thought that they, uh, with all the resources that they have, that they would have been able to attract some top talent in the attacking third of the field. Um, but they just haven't done so, and I mean, that's which is great because it, it means that it opens up a spot for another team to emerge and other players to emerge as well. Um, but, yeah, Angela, I agree with you. I, I don't think the, the sort of the big-name players that they've recruited have been particularly impressive.
3: And going off what you said there, Sam, about like City basically getting points from draws and that sort of thing, it's not really how they have played historically. Like City football, it's very possession-based. It's a little bit um, – maybe this is my – Bias coming through, but it feels quite arrogant, but that's good because it's often very confident football. And yeah, I don't think that's really going to translate with the squad that they have this season. They also don't seem to have, yeah, a um, Jess Fishlock or that Jess Fishlock or Emily Van Egmont sort of, I'm not sure what you would call that sort of player, but someone who's got that competitive edge and can force the win um, and can have those big moments especially in that like midfield and front line. So, yeah. But prove us wrong, City, if you're listening. Prove us wrong. Add, the, add some spice. Add some drama.
2: And I think if they do somehow hit their straps, it was always going to take time anyway because, as Angela mentioned, McCormick's not played a whole lot of football. Chidiak's not played a whole lot of football when she comes in. Kira has played football. But all of these players have had to do two weeks hotel quarantine and, that takes its toll. I think you lose your touch, you can struggle to hit the pace initially and fair enough too because like even if your club can get an exercise bike or whatever in, I know um, from an A-League perspective, Grant Brebner was talking, Melbourne Victory's A-League coach, was talking about the difficulties of these players being in a hotel room. You don't really know how their bodies are going to respond, how long it's going to take them to settle into the team, to get that touch, to get that fitness. You're so wary of soft tissue injuries and especially for players um, like a Sam Johnson or a Jenna McCormick who have not really been playing in the months leading up to that, it's always going to take time to get some touch. I did like that goal from Jenna McCormick. I know she well and truly had the, the strength um, advantage over Jessica Nash, but that's what you want to see from your centre-backs and especially from someone who is playing captain that day to actually come in and force the issue to, to make that goal happen. Um, I'm going to be interested to see how they do line up attacking-wise going forward because I think if Chidiak can come in and slot into 10, my obvious temptation would be to play Kira forward. I think if she's a goal scorer, use her as the player to help try and poach some goals because for me at times they did create some chances, but they had no one there to f- finish them off. Whereas if you've got a Michelle Heyman, for example, you you can put those chances away. So. Yeah, not not a huge amount of – they did look better in the second half. <laughs> Angela's just sent Jenna McCorm squish to the chat. <laughs> Made me lose it after seeing that goal. Um, but, yeah, I think there's – you have to think they can find some sort of positives based on the, a little bit more energy in that second half. But is it enough to get them in the top four? I've got my doubts.
1: I think one of the positives, overwhelmingly the positive, is Tegan Micah. We mentioned Mm. her already this episode, but she has just been extraordinary. And... I think I, I almost regret uh, in our preview episode not saying that Tegan Michael was the player that I was most looking forward to because we actually haven't seen her play for a really long time. She was at in the US college system for three years and then she was in Norway. So we have no idea how much she's learned or how much she's grown in that time. But that first game against Brisbane War was unbelievable. That like that was a sort of a Casey Dumont level of the extraordinary that is going to put her in serious conversations about goalkeeper of the year already, you know, and that's I, I, it's, it's really, really exciting to see that from a player who is still so young. Tegan Mike is only 23. She's obviously the future Matilda's number one goalkeeper.
2: She just looks so commanding, didn't she, Sam? Like mm. in terms of it's not like she had this star-studded backline in front of her. She was running the show. But- In that Brisbane game in particular where she was player of the match, made something like seven saves. Um, I think she actually had more touches on the ball than any other City player as well, which shows how much she did in that game. Um, She just looked like she ran the show. And I think when you've got – I don't know. I think when keepers are coming through, the top ones, they have that confidence. And I don't know if this is from playing in the college system for four years and that sort of – American bravado style where you've got to be really confident and outgoing I know she's an outgoing personality as it is but to really succeed in that environment you have to have that bit of steel about you you have to back yourself have some confidence and especially as a goalkeeper really marshal your defense and get your team up and about yeah we we talk I guess we've talked about it in previous episodes how vocal Lydia Williams is and what that's brought to Arsenal and um, how much we love that for the Matildas. And I know it's such early days still, but you just got to love what we've seen from Tegan Micah already. Like, And if she can keep going like this, apparently she was sensational in Norway as well. Two keepers playing in England and another who's done the thing in Norway now doing the thing in the W League and Tegan Micah. Things just look that little bit brighter for the future.
0: I think uh, having discussed Tegan Micah is now a good segue into talking about the team that she was particularly excellent against in the Brisbane Raw. So they're one of the other teams that have played two games so far this season, and the stat line currently reads two games, two points, no goals, but also no goals conceded. So it's it's definitely not the start I think any of us expected from them. Harrow, what are you making of Brisbane's start to the season so far?
2: just wasteful, isn't it? Um, I think that's probably the main thing that's stood out for me. They've they've got a lot of the pieces. The defense is pretty stoic and we knew that would be the case. You've got Kim Carroll, you've got Claire Polkinghorn, there's no shortage of quality there. We know that they have good players in midfield as well. So yeah, looking at this Brisbane forward line, but Mario Hecker, who we know has been scoring and playing well in the NPL, it looks like a team that's got forwards who've not been playing with the team recently or not been playing much football or been in hotel quarantine. So you've got Emily Gilnick, who was banging in goals for, in Sweden, like banging them in for fun, and then has had to come back, do the hotel quarantine, settle in, get back into a team that she hadn't played in for a good couple of years, let's remember. She was at Melbourne Victory before she went off to Europe. Um, Tamiki Allops not really played all year. These are players that you'd normally expect to be banging in and we know Tamiki art was desperately unlucky we were where one i guess got ruled out when clearly the ball had gone over the line there was also a penalty shout for handball against Sam Johnson that just incredibly didn't get called like they've been they've been unlucky but you do make your own luck to a to a certain extent and i think they had a they had one well, had one saved brilliantly by gabby garten um from victory but it just looks like it's lacking that bit of sharpness, which I it's not a problem that you can't fix. These players spend more time together, they gel a bit more, they make the chances a bit more clear cut, these players get a bit more match fitness about them. Then the goals start to come. To me, the question is, can they start to do it quickly enough? It's a short season, you need to start getting points on the board. We knew Melbourne City would be a relative should have been a relatively tight defensive prospect. Victory were a good team. But Now Brisbane need to start getting points and they're solid defensively. Great. Got to start getting some goals because otherwise it can just start getting away from you.
1: I feel like Brisbane's season is going to be one of those when they score one, they're going to score five kinds of seasons, you know, like floodgates are going to open. Once they all realise where the goal is, it's going to, they're going to run away with the league because they'd like, the game, against, uh, the game against Melbourne City, they were desperately, desperately unlucky. You know, it, it it wasn't just the goal that wasn't called that crossed the line. It wasn't just the handball that was missed. Emily Gilnick hit the post. Katrina Gorey hit the crossbar. Like there were so many just inch, like inches in it kinds of moments um, that absolutely could have seen them, you know, win that game by a good four or five goals. Um, and against Melbourne Victory, they, I think that was a tighter game than it was against City. Like, obviously, it was a tighter game than it was against City, but like, they still had their chances there as well. Mm. Um, I'm pretty sure there was a, a chance that fell to Letitia McKenna, who was one-on-one with the goalkeeper, and she sort of shot straight at her. Um, I think there were a couple of chances for Emily Gilnick as well, down the left side, Uh, Mariel Hecker, again, had a couple of really good chances that she just shot just a couple of centimetres over the crossbar, so it's not like they can't do it. (laughs) So it's not like they can't do it. It's... So it's not like they can't do it. It's just that the ball needs to go in the net once and then it's going to go in the net a lot of times, I think, for this Brisbane wall. And also in, when it comes to Brisbane Raw, I think it is, again, worth mentioning how good Kim Carroll is as a defender. Uh, like uh, she has just been so underrated. It's similar for me to Tara Andrews. I think these are players who they have sort of been in the W League for such a long time that we have forgotten actually how good they are and they've been part of setups for such a long time that they just seem like rusted on. And through the sheer fact that they've had players around them who have been more sort of sparkling and wonderful than they have been, we've sort of forgotten how consistent they are. And Kim Carroll being there alongside Claire Polkinghorne, I think has been amazing. She's so calm on the ball. She always makes the right decision. Uh, you know, she's lost her speed. Of course she has. She's older now. But she is able to compensate for that in so many other more important ways. And so, yeah, shout out to Kim Carroll. This is This is a Kim Carroll love fest for me at the moment. Another player who I've really enjoyed watching in Brisbane's first two games has been Mariel Hecker. Um, Brazilian, she came from a really dominant season with Lions in the Queensland NPL, and she has shown exactly why she is so raved about um in those queensland npl circles i think she's been really electric she reminds me of riley basden in a lot of ways really sort of energetic wants the ball wants to run at players wants to do things like she was just sort of in both of the games that she's appeared in so far also technically very very gifted she has a futsal background as well so yeah i'm loving her
2: to actually bounce off that sam it's been interesting in the past i don't think Previously, clubs have done the recruit international NPLW into the W League thing too well. I think this might be the season that changes that. Um, we touched on Kote Rojas earlier. She'd already obviously played W League. You just touched on um, Hekka as well. Um, but looking at Melbourne victory, I think it could be something they've done really well too. Um, well, Gabby Garten was playing for, she's an international for Argentina, but she was playing for Essendon Royals, who aren't even in the NPLW. Um, Like top division here in Victoria. Fantastic. I thought Kayla Morrison barely missed a beat at centre-back. We've pumped her up since she got signed, and for good reason. She was sensational for bullying. She obviously is a player who has played football this year. According to everyone you hear from, she was doing quite well in Sweden, and I thought she just looked so natural, came out and tackled at the right time. really made an impact, look like a really strong presence in defence, which you don't always see from players who come up um, from the NPL. Um, I thought really astute pickup. I'll be interested to see how Catherine Zimmerman goes as the season goes on. I thought she'd get used as a pure nine by victory, but she was coming from, I think, out on the right a lot in that game. So I don't know if that will change as Victory sort of tinker with their structures or play against different opposition as the season goes on. Um, but she didn't do too much wrong. But Garten, with some of those saves and the way she sort of commanded the area, um, given she was, I guess, filling a space led by Casey Dumont, very impressive. And yeah, I just wonder if this will be the season where it turns out that the players we've plucked from the NPLW, or the players, that I guess, to be fairer to those state league teams, have actually been attracted to our state leagues. They're actually good enough. Um, it's... Yeah, I think it's quite exciting that some of these teams have actually plucked a few of these players out and they're actually delivering the goods, which hasn't always been the case in the past.
3: Also, shout out to a friend of the pod, Illy, who actually messaged me and she said that hearing us talk about Marielle Hecker in our preview made her really happy and she said, best futsal player I've ever seen. She played professionally in Brazil and she's insane. The love heart smiley. Reading this aloud, don't know how to what you would call that, but yes, um, and yeah, definitely seeing that and um, paid closer attention to her in that um, victory raw game because of um, your message, Ely. So thank you.
0: But yeah, so then the only team that hasn't had even any sort of taste of dub action is Perth, but that might actually be a really really good thing. Sam, tell us how this you know, it's kind of a good thing for Perth that they have yet to run out onto a park.
1: Yeah, border closures has sort of meant that uh, all of Perth's games have had to be delayed or rescheduled or postponed or whatever. Um, and and that's frustrating for the players who've sort of been in and around there for a while. But I think overall it's probably a good thing because of the last-minute nature of the the squad recruitment, the last-minute nature of a park being uh, recruited as head coach. And he only came out of quarantine, like he had to travel from Sydney. So he only came out of quarantine like a week or two ago. So he hasn't actually been working with the players for very long. Um, And so having a couple of extra weeks to to get the players to gel, to lay down some foundations, um, some philosophies, some style, whatever, I think is probably going to um, stand Perth in in good stead uh, in the long run. But yeah, I mean, we can't really talk about Perth. We haven't seen them play, um, aside from what we said in the preview, which is that, you know they've recruited, I think, some pretty exciting players, particularly the trio from New Zealand. Really keen to see how Marlia Steinmetz goes in midfield alongside Hannah Lowry. Um, there was a really great story in one of the West Australian papers about Lowry. Apparently, that paper doesn't really cover football that much. So the fact that she sort of got there and and put her name up in that headline, I think, is really cool. Um, but yeah, I mean, we'll see. We'll see how we go.
0: Yes, so we have more W League coming up. We have the return of Thursday night football with Brisbane taking on Canberra. Then we've got a game on Friday. We've got a game for four straight days, which is awesome. So Friday we've got the Jets hosting Sydney FC. Then Saturday sees Perth get their season underway in Adelaide against the Reds. And Sunday we finish it all off with a Melbourne derby down in Dandenong. So it's going to be very, very exciting.
2: So Before we move on from the W League, I think it's important just to touch on a bit of news that's come out on our pod recording day of Monday about the Newcastle Jets, Um, the Football Australia and the Australian Professional Leagues, which is the new body following the unbundling of the the leagues from um, Football Australia. um, They have stripped uh, former Newcastle Jets owner Martin Lee of the A League and W League licences and the new licence has Well, it's being issued to, and it's like a consortium of existing club investors. So basically the Newcastle Jets still exist. The licence that was there per se does not. Um, In terms of how that affects players from A-League and W-League, current players are getting offered contracts with the new entity. So you would think that from a W-League perspective, they should be able to play out the season with the the coaches and players they've got. From a Newcastle perspective, I mean, apparently Martin Lee hadn't been putting money in the talk is reportedly from October twenty nineteen. So there's not been money going in. The reason that the the I guess the APL and Football Australia have given is the I guess the entity that was The Newcastle Jets have been failing to pay its debts when they were due, which put them in breach of the club participation agreement. So, Martin Lee's been stripped of the licenses. It's gone to the, um, these APL club investors who will operate it on an interim basis until they can get a new owner, effectively. So, yeah, it's, uh, not great times in Newcastle, but basically the aim is to maintain that presence in that Northern New South Wales league, no, sorry, Northern New South Wales area long term. In terms of the current season, A-League, W-League, those teams still going ahead. Um, but I think we knew this was coming for a little while in terms of Newcastle. Um, Sam?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think I think it's a good thing overall. Martin Lee was not investing money in the club and yeah. the it was the players and the staff that were suffering. And, you know, football is a hyper-capitalist system. If you can't swim you'll sink and I think it's great that the, uh, the the sort of consortium of other clubs who can afford to do so have decided to keep the club afloat it's a club that has a rich history in both leagues um, and it also has a rich history in terms of player development like uh, Newcastle is one of the only clubs in the country that has a women's development uh, program the emerging Jets they play in the New South Wales MPL uh, Canberra is the other one and so does Brisbane that apply in New South Wales, um, uh, and yeah, so I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm going to be interested in who they bring in now to invest in this club. Who is going to be the financial backer, and whether that person um, is going to give Newcastle, particularly the W League team, the kind of boost that I think they have needed for a number of seasons now. Now we saw last season that they were the only club in the W League that didn't have any international players. And the, you know, the very diplomatic response by Craig Deans at the time was that they wanted to focus on on local players. They wanted to focus on youth. They didn't feel the need to bring in internationals, which is like, yeah, OK, but also you couldn't afford to bring them in, could you? Like, you couldn't afford to pay them. And that's, and that's fine. That's just the reality of that. Um, but Newcastle suffered because of that. The team suffered. And... Yeah, so looking forward to seeing what happens next. Good on the clubs for deciding to keep the the club afloat. That's really important to maintain the fabric of the game here. And, um, yeah, I mean, for all intents and purposes, the stuff that we see on the field, the the sort of the, the day-to-day um, sort of life of the Newcastle Jets probably won't change very much. There's not going to be a whole lot of stuff that we see that's different. Um, it'll just be the, the amount of money that's behind them is going to change. So, yeah.
0: Let's. Get into some boots, no, Anna. You've been um, revved up for about a week now, ten days. You're you're ready to boot, so please go for it.
2: Uh oh, Marissa, I've I've never been more ready to boot in my life, um, and that's despite the festive period. Like, oh boy, which shows how rolled up we all got over this. Leeds United. They're meant to be the team that everyone was getting around. We all love a bit of Bielsa They've been great to watch. But as proof that we just can't always have nice things, they've gone and ruined it, haven't they? We were rooting for you. We (laughs) were all rooting for you.
3: (laughs) Not anymore. Get fucked. Mm -hmm.
2: (laughs) So to give some context, um, Karen Carney, England great. Um, Sorry, Karen Carney MBE. England great, FAWSL great, now a pundit. Um, They were talking ahead of the, I believe it was ahead of the Leeds game against West Bromwich Albion where um, she essentially talked about the Leeds in previous seasons and I guess with previous Bielsa teams. uh, We saw a couple of years ago where they didn't get promoted because they sort of started the season really well and then just... Fell over because it's a very high intensity game. Um, I think this is a gist she was trying to uh, get across, um, and effectively said that the break because of COVID nineteen probably helped Leeds out. They ended up they were in really good form going into that break, and then they've had the the season suspension come back, played because the Premier League and Championship finished their seasons, and they've obviously um, romped home and got promoted. Um, so she's effectively said that the COVID nineteen enforced break has helped Leeds. Um, get promoted rather than falling at the final hurdle, which is something they've done in previous seasons. So the Leeds United admin has taken a clip of this. Karen Carney's probably said it a little bit clumsily, but I think you can understand her point. They've taken a clip and gone with promoted because of COVID and then won the league by 10 points. Hi at Prime Video Sport, because she was doing this for um, Amazon. So what's happened here is Karen Carney's made this comment, let's not forget here that Leeds United have just won a game 5-0, like playing fantastically, talk of the town, so many good reasons. And for some reason, the admin has decided to act like a 12-year-old boy, take a video that a fan site has posted on Twitter of a pundit making a comment that not everyone agrees with, highlighted it to their 668,000 followers on Twitter, and made a point of calling out a pundit. Of course, as women in football, we know what this leads to. It leads to abuse for Karen Carney on Twitter. It leads to abuse for Karen Carney on Instagram. She's turned off her comments on Instagram. She's left Twitter. And I guess the the question then is, oh, but, you know, she's made a comment that we disagree with. We think it's a stupid comment. But it's not necessarily just about the abuse that she's Copped for making a wrong comment. It's the type of abuse. It's get back in the kitchen. It's this is why diversity hires don't work. Make a sandwich. What's she doing? Make a cuppa. And let's not let's not even go into some of the slurs and just disgusting language that's got used about Karen Carney by fans. There was probably always going to be some fans that would go at it because they've seen the comments, not liked it. But the problem is Leeds United, as a I guess as an organisation, have amplified this. Criticism, they've put it out there for 600 plus thousand followers to see and just absolutely invited a pile on, um, which is what happened. And then what has also happened is their chairman, Andrea Rajrazzani, has basically said, I take responsibility for the tweet. Um, and I thought her comments were disrespectful. And a couple of players have also backed up the club as well. So it's just not good enough. Like I think the immediate reaction from any women in sport was this is not good enough. It's you've invited a pile on, you've allowed a woman to be targeted in sport based on her gender. You've basically, if you were going to target pundits for getting the wrong thing, you do it every time, every single time you disagree with a pundit. And I know some Leeds fans are like, but look at this one we've called out. Look at this one we've called out. I'm not sure. Um, saying, oh, but we always abuse pundits we disagree with is a great defence for this. Um, (laughs) Seems to be what a few have run with. But yeah, I'll I'll let Sam who'll give a bit more of a nuanced version of why, I guess, doing this to a female pundit is so bad. But for me, the thing that it highlighted is, one, either Leeds United didn't know the sort of abuse this would cause Karen Carney to receive, which shows that clearly there's not enough women involved in their organisation from a media standpoint. There's not enough education given to the men involved in their media team, or they knew what it would do, which is even worse. They knew it would invite a pile on. They knew it would see Karen Carney get abuse. They wanted to rev up their fans. They wanted to set people on. They went with the backs against the wall mentality and didn't really care what it meant for Karen Carney. Whichever way you look at it, shocking move and for me especially when you consider that the type of abuse that she's got for being a woman in sport off the back of it it's just not good enough social media isn't something you give to the intern anymore you're meant to be a professional you're meant to get this right ladies united just not good enough big old boot from me
1: i can't add anything to that harry that was excellent you like that fully summed it up like it was it was incredibly predictable I think is the word for it when it comes to women in football and women in sport who watched that unfold. It was incredibly, incredibly predictable. Um, and what I found so patronising was that the club then invited her to the training ground oh, to, what? To, to watch them be good. Like I don't, what is the, you know, like this is a woman who has over a hundred caps for her national team. She has been involved in football for almost like two decades, probably longer. She is one of the most respected, the most well-researched pundits currently operating in football, in just generally. And this is the way that she's treated. Like it was just it was extraordinary. And it was it was predictable, it was exhausting. Um and I don't, have, I don't have anything to add. I tweeted about it already and, I, I like, a lot of people wrote some really great articles about it. Susie Racker, mm. the Guardian, wrote a fantastic piece about it. And it was just, like, fucking grow up, you know, Leeds United. Like, the, they seem to just have this mentality, not just with the organisation but with the fans as well, this sort of mob mentality, this real defensiveness, which is, like, I, I get that that's part and parcel of football, but when it comes to making yourself blind to how your language and your actions affect people, when you punch down, which is what Mm. that tweet did, you just look like the asshole. And I don't think anybody outside of Leeds United fans or the club can really argue with that.
2: And I think every woman in sport that saw it knew exactly What was going to happen? Jess Fishlock actually called it out really well, being like, you knew what was going to happen. Beth England called it out too. And I think every woman in sport has known that feeling of being told that they don't belong because of these things. And Angela, I'm sure, have a great point on this too. But that's the thing, is when women cop this sort of criticism, they get told that they don't belong. They get told that, I don't know, having a wrong opinion or a stupid opinion or whatever shows that they shouldn't have a place to talk about football, much less on the TV. Like apparently Karen Carney having an opinion, I think there were some valid points to Karen Carney's opinion, even if you don't think there was. The problem was that the way Leeds handled this gave certain people in society the opportunity to say, Karen Carney doesn't deserve a place in the media covering women's football because of this comment, which is just outrageous. Let's be honest. Come on. Like it yeah. It's just incredibly disappointing. But as you said, Sam, it was just so predictable.
3: And I think a lot of um Yeah, some of the response straight away was that, oh, but she's wrong. She's saying something that's incorrect. And as you said, Harrow, like It's pundits' jobs to bring their own analysis and their own, yeah, reading of a situation and to provide that insight and to start discussion. But, yes, this was definitely framed in a way that it wasn't ever really intended to start any discussion. I think for the sort of gendered context and the gendered response, not only does it say that just the outright, like, you don't belong here, like, the get back in the kitchen stuff, but... It also, I think, creates an environment where women probably feel like they have to always be correct and they always have to be on. Mm-hmm. And Karen Carney didn't even say anything that, like, she, did, you know what I mean? Like, she probably wasn't waking up that morning and thinking, you know what, I'm going to say something a bit spicy, and this is going to be the day that a bunch of people troll me and are horrible and say all this sexist shit to me. It's like, I think the that fear. Or that will put off so many people and so many women wanting to be involved and get more publicly involved in this sort of thing and just football in general. The idea that we have to be perfect or we don't belong at all. When men have just like say incorrect things all the time and they're allowed to. That's completely fine. That's part of being a pundit. You just, ugh. anyway, just raspberry sounds at this point. Sam, do you have anything else to add? about <laughs> Raspberry sounds.
1: That's a a really, really good point, Angela. Like the fact that women in football and women in male-dominated sports are not given the same opportunity to fail as men are. Women in sport generally already massively over-prepare because we know that we are judged to higher standards because we're women. And so when we are in situations where our knowledge is being called upon, we make sure that we are as researched as possible so that we are not faced with this sort of bullshit. Because when it happens, as we are seeing, we get absolutely fucking floored by criticism. Criticism that doesn't engage, really, in what we've been talking about, but uses what we've been talking about as a shield to attack us from other directions. So it's just... it's it.
0: (laughs) I agree. (laughs)
2: One thing I did like to see out of this Karen Carney situation was male pundits, journalists, and beyond those Leeds footballers, a select few um, that should be pretty embarrassed with themselves right now. I thought the support was fantastic. It got called out. There were journalists, some of whom would have very strong relationships with Leeds, I'm sure, that called it out straight away. Like they didn't wait for the tide of opinion to come in. As soon as that tweet went out, there were some pretty high profile male journalists, and I know, like, from in terms of the male ex footballers, like a Rio Ferdinand who called it out pretty quickly and said, It's not good enough. What are you doing? This is poor. This is unacceptable. And I think that does show, in one sense, how far we've come that um, collegiality was there. Um, and yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's what should be happening, but it is good to see that it is. And yeah. Uh, I'd like to see how Leeds actually try and respond because saying to Karen Carney, oh, you're welcome to come up from London to Leeds to watch us train and file a report is, one, not good enough. Two, why should she make, have to make the effort to come and deal with this? You created this problem. Um, it's on Leeds now to show that they they can be better than this. That's a
0: boot. Let's move on to a funnier boot. Samantha, fucking hit us off. <laughs>
1: Oh, my God. Okay, so one uh, aspect of the Melbourne City-Canberra United game that uh, some clever listeners will perhaps realise we didn't mention was the fact that for a good six minutes there, we actually couldn't see much at all. Uh, And that's because there was a big (laughs) shape. I'm not sure how many sides it had. I don't know the technical term for it, but there was a graphic that popped up on the broadcast, and it stayed there. Stayed there for a really long time, you know? And I, I don't work in television. But I assume when something pops up on a screen that is going out to millions and millions of people around the world, not just in Australia, but around the world, and it's not meant to be there, I feel like you should do something about that rapidly.
2: Was it you know, five and a half minutes, Sam, that it was five there? Five and a
1: half minutes. That was there. Like I know, I know, For I appreciate that Fox Sports has been going, it's been tough for them recently. They've had to sack a lot of people. They lost a lot of money. I get it. But surely, surely you've been doing this for long enough to know that when there's a floating shape on the screen <laughs> that's not meant to be there. It doesn't take five and a half minutes to get
3: rid of it, does it? I don't know. It's just. It's just... I'm imagining there's like a cat in the Fox studio just like sitting on a keyboard.
2: Mm. <laughs> and like was it the A-League logo as well, like that was in it? Like I uh, I wasn't sure.
3: I it was like... a real weird logo.
2: It sort of. It has the W League, like, within it. I was exp- I was getting ready for it to start doing, you know, like when you're watching a DVD and it goes onto the screensaver and you're watching the DVD logo. Oh, you know, <laughs> oh, like God. you're just watching the game around the logo. <laughs> like, as to I be said, honest, was, like, yeah, the, I, the I, DVD I,
1: screensaver would have been more interesting than Melbourne City's first half of football, I'll say that much.
2: Oh boom! <laughs> oh, but as I said on Twitter, like I for one, welcome our new logo overlord. Like it was just it brought people together. Like watching people talk about it on Twitter. Like I was like, in a week where people are fighting over COVID restrictions and so many other things, I'm just glad everyone got brought together by this extraordinary clusterfuck. Like. <laughs> It's just Does it fall
1: into the category of peak dub? I'm I'm not uh, sure if, like
2: uh, It's um, up it's up there, like surely it's there. Surely it's right up there. Like we'd seen in the A League earlier in the earlier in the weekend that a goal between Wellington and Sydney actually got missed because the, the camera's cut out. But I think actually a logo just taking over the screen for a solid five and a half minutes. Um uh, it's like being at C.B. Smith every week where you've got the poles in the way, but instead of the poles, it's just this monstrosity of a logo.
1: <laughs> I, feel I have like, so
0: many things to say,
1: but go, Sim. I, I wrote this in my ESPN column this week. Uh, my first thought when it happened, is, is this what it's like to have cataracts? Where it's like... You've just got this floating thing in your vision and you can't get rid of it and you just have to deal with it. I mean, shout out to the cameraman who I think tried to like recognise perhaps what was going on and tried to like keep the ball in frame at some at some point across the five decades it took for the Fox Sports people to figure out what was going on. Um, but, yeah, it was just it was just extraordinary, wasn't it? Like how the fuck is this happening in the 21st century with Fox Sports who've been broadcasting the leagues for 15 fucking years? How do you do this? What is just, you know, hire someone who knows what they're doing, man. Come on.
2: But it's, like, not even, like, just a logo. Like, we'll, we'll tweet it out. Like, it wasn't just, like, the W League logo is there. Like, it's Fox's sort of, uh, I don't know, hexagonal. It looks like there's six sides. Football logo. And also, like, an A League or W League logo. And it's like they were meant to come together in some sort of animation and they've just frozen part way and stayed forever. Like... Just a genuine monstrosity.
1: <laughs> anyway, that gets the bit from me. <laughs>
2: <laughs> ah!
0: One, the hexagons on the timeline was the most peace this world has felt in a very long time. Two, you can't have peak dub. We can't peak. It's just constantly like this. My, this is my only strongly held opinion in life. Mm. We cannot have. Peak Australian football because we're just constantly peaking, baby. Three, there were some very funny edits that we will retweet. My two favourites were Friend of the Pod Jeff edited it so that there was a shadow and it looked like a giant spaceship and Michelle Heyman's looking up at it like, oh, no, they've come. <laughs> and Kevin um, Morgan Graham edited, uh, I think it's Porky Pig. And
2: oh, that was so
0: funny. So the Looney Tunes ending into the hexagon. Well. they looks- were very. It was incredible. I loved it so much. So I'm glad we got that after the kind of heaviness of the lead stuff. And because you mentioned, because <laughs> you mentioned it, a boot to whoever designed CB Smith. Because if you're not getting blinded by the sun, you're probably missing something behind a um giant light pole. So big old boot to them. But
3: let- locked in after the game. I always get <laughs> <laughs> if you're on one, if you're on the left-hand side of the grandstand, they close the tunnel off and then you're just like, let me out, <laughs> let me out. The opposite of that meme? Yes, it's like the opposite of, yeah. Oh, um, um,
2: also, for whatever reason, Teo and Emma Cheka were broadcasting from like a corner. Like, they so were so you right had right to, behind so the fence. So like had to rely on like I assume, their little screen from the camera largely to call the game. They still did a great job. Um, I think it was Emma Checker's Fox Sports debut as well, and she was fantastic as far as analysts go. But come on, man. (laughs) At least let someone see the game. (laughs) (laughs) One final boot, Marissa. Um, I guess the time has passed now, given we didn't have a pod last week, but... I'm sure plenty of people saw the headlines. I think Arsenal's Katie McCabe attracted some headlines for going to Dubai and uh, we saw West Ham's Alicia Lehman with their partner Ramona Barkman, the former Chelsea player in the Maldives, and there was a collective of Leon players in um, Dubai as well. Travelling to go on holiday to the beach in the middle of the pandemic. Don't do it. It's not great, especially not when you're in London, which is real roney town at the moment. we know that players like Sam Kerr spent their time like completely isolated over Christmas. Um, yeah, I, I just can't get my head around the idea of, I know that those players weren't able to go to Europe because of the restrictions placed upon London to then go to somewhere like a Dubai, or the Maldives and maybe put the workers in those places at risk as well. I don't like it. Going away on holidays when you shouldn't really be travelling I guess, more than 5Ks from your home or whatever their restrictions are compared to, say, our Melbourne lockdown. Don't like it. So a bit of a boot for uh, players going off on beach holidays when they are meant to be being locked down in a pandemic. A big old
0: boot. But let's move into some how goods. Angela, a how good?
3: Yes. So my how good is on the same theme except we're like just – how good in players staying at home, minding their business and being cute like soccer power couples pretty much. So um, Peniel Harder and Magda Eriksson posted a tweet of them in like matching Christmas pyjamas. Love it. And then um, at Manchester United's Amy Turner got engaged to her partner, I want to say this correctly, Anne Harrod James who plays for Reading. I believe, and that was real cute as well. So just love to see that content and love to see them not travelling overseas during a pandemic. The bar is so low, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs>
2: oh, God.
3: How how good?
2: Yeah, um, my how good was uh, we all remember the classic footage from the Brazil Olympics of Lisa Devanna attempting to take a drink out of her water bottle, having it the wrong way around, and Elise least Knight coming and fixing it. One of the greatest clips of all time. Well, Lisa Devanna has clearly uh, started to see the funny side of that five years, sorry, four years on, five years on now. And um, she actually, she has a nephew in Melbourne um, who is still a baby, and she posted a video to her Instagram story of her nephew with his bottle holding it upside down, and she posted it with the caption, runs in the family. She then fixed it and said helping hand and tagged Elise Kellen Knight. So, Lisa DeVar, getting around the greatest clip of all time. How good?
1: It's
0: so good. And, Sam,
1: how good? My how good this week is another shout-out, but this time it's a shout-out to uh, dub people who are off the field. So, uh, active fans, I adore all of the active fans in the W League and the last two rounds we saw uh, the Raw Corps, we saw Newcastle Jets active and we saw Victory Vikings uh, making some serious noise at their games, drums, chants, flags. It's just so wonderful. And Emma Checker has said on the broadcast of the Victory Brisbane game that the players really Like love it. They really respond to that sort of enthusiasm and to the noise. It sometimes takes them up a level. So keep doing what you're doing, guys. It's amazing. Be louder if you can. Try and get more people involved. It's so great on the broadcast. And it's something that I think the community more generally needs, particularly at this point when restrictions are sort of coming back into place. So yeah, um, dub, dub active fans more generally. How good. How good. Very, very
0: good. And uh, how good from me? So it it was a, a long time between drinks, literally, but we were back for Dub at the Pub at the Great Northern. So Anna, Angela and Friend of the Pod Tom and I were all at the pub. We watched uh, Adelaide Canberra and the Sydney Derby and it was just so good to be sitting with mates at the pub, watching some football, you know, absolutely cackling at what Cote Rojas was pulling off, getting to marvel at, you know, Princess of Bangers. It was just such a lovely way to end 2020, That that's correct. Yeah. That was at the end of 2020. Um, and it's just, it's the best thing. So if, You can go call up your local, ask them to put it on channel five oh six. Hopefully they're as nice as the people at the Great Northern who kept changing the channel for us. And get around dub at the pub. Go watch some dub at the pub. You'll have a great time. So and then take some
1: photos. Take some photos and tag us in it. Put it on Twitter, put it on Facebook, Instagram, tag us in it. We want it to be a thing.
0: Yes, hashtag dub at the pub. How good.
1: Anyway, that's
0: That's enough out of us. That's a a very large episode, but that's what happens when you record. Uh, You miss a week. So thank you so much for tuning in. We hope that you will subscribe wherever you are listening to us and follow us, please, on all social medias. We're at The Far Post Pod. We love having you guys tag us in things. We want you guys to tag us in your dub at the pubs, in your Heyman watching, in whatever it is that you so wish. So until next week, see us.